verses 45 through 51 is kind of the conclusion of the chapter here. We're not going to get through all of that tonight. We're going to hit 45 through 47, but get to Matthew 24, and uh, we're going to pray and thank God for the word. How many enjoy worship on Wednesday night? Amen. Uh, I don't know if uh, this should surprise you, but I look forward to church all day on Wednesday. Need that. Need to see some people. Need to worship together, amen. Get a little refresher, a little midweek bump. Amen. Sounds like you need a bump out there. Poke your neighbor and say, hey, you need a bump. <laughs> I don't see any poking. That's disobedience. Poke them. That's it. That's it. Good job, Wade. Tonight's my lovely wife's birthday. She's 25 again. And as her birthday punishment, she has to listen to me preach. So. <laughs> Matthew 24, Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God. We thank you for the house of God. I thank you for my brothers and sisters that we could be here and worship you and get refreshed in your presence. And now that we could sit under the word, Holy Spirit, without you tonight, opening our hearts and our minds and uh, unraveling the mysteries of the word, all of this is just... Uh, pointless for us, but because we're born again, because we're filled with the Spirit of God, these things come alive to us and make sense. So Holy Spirit, that's what I ask you to do tonight. Make the Word come alive, make it make sense to us, and show us how to apply it to our daily living. Because God, we want to be not hearers only, but doers of your Word. Faithful servants who can hear well done at the end of the journey. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Now listen to Matthew 24. I'm going to read 45 through 51. By God's grace, we're going to hit this in two parts. If Jesus comes back before next week, I'm not preaching it. He can do it. And we'll hear it in heaven. But here we go. Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is the servant that... Servant whom master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. Verse 48. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of. And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So quite a contrast there between two types of servants. Listen to verses 45 through 47 again. Who is then a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. So let's take those three verses and take a look at them. This last portion of Matthew 24, remember we went through all the signs of Jesus' coming that he gave to his disciples. We've had some parables. We've had some uh, illustrations. Jesus is fleshing out what it's going to be like before uh, his coming. We talked about the days of Noah. How many, if you read in Scripture and you look at the days of Noah, what they were doing, they were, you know, just living life and ignoring God. And that's something that we see in our generation. 
creation, the, that the, the bulk of the, the world is ignoring the coming of God, ignoring the coming of Jesus, yeah. and just living life. Do you know how blessed we are to have faith and instruction and the witness of the Holy Spirit to be watching for his coming? when there's so many people who are asleep and not watching for his coming. And in Noah's generation, they, they ignored the ark and the man of God and a hundred years of preaching and warning, and they didn't get serious until the rain started. God helped this generation. God helped the church. Get us ready, Lord, where there's spots and wrinkles in your bride. Lord, work them out of us, we ask in Jesus' name. So the last portion speaks... Uh, to those who give service to the Lord. How many know we're all servants of the Lord? Some of, us, some of us are called to be full-time ministers, but all of us are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. While this, is, this portion of Scripture is directed directly and specifically at those who are called to serve Jesus as ministers and overseers, of his church. It also applies to every believer. So you're going to see some of these things that are said here. They speak directly to those who are full-time ministers, overseers in the body of Christ. But the implication is all of us are servants in the kingdom of God. So this applies to all of us. So nobody gets free tonight. Everybody has to consider what is being said here and the implications of it and, and what the Lord requires of us. In the body of Christ, there is no serving class and, and consumer class. Let me see that again. There's no serving class. Well, pastor, you do all the work and you do all the study and you do all the praying and you better have something good for us or we're going to find another place to go because we're consumer Christians. You see, unfortunately, in the Western church, that's the way the body has become. And if people don't like the way they're being served or what they're being served, they pick up and they uproot themselves and they plant them somewhere else. And many times, most of the time, God hasn't told us to move. I want to tell you, I've been planted in places that I did not want to stay. I've been under people I did not want to serve. I wouldn't have chose certain things, but I never moved myself because the Holy Spirit would not allow me to. And remember, way back at Elam, on our senior prophecies, there were things prophesied to me by the prophets there in the house that were like an anchor to me to keep me. And those things uh, have kept me in the place where God could, you know, do something productive with my life. Be very careful about uprooting yourself. If the Lord moves you, move where the Lord says. If the Lord uproots you, allow him to do that. But I've seen so much destruction in marriages, in families, in the lives of believers who uproot themselves when God hasn't moved them. So there's no serving class and consumer class. Unfortunately, we get that consumer class mentality and we, we don't like what we're being served, we move. Now, pastors shouldn't be expected to shoulder all the work without the help of the congregation. Oh, I'm having fun preaching this tonight. Now, I'm saying this in a church that serves. You guys are servants. I look at the amount of people that were involved in the Easter production. Anytime we do something, even when we break down the sanctuary, to, to, I mean, everybody's a worker here, and I, I thank God for that. But I got to preach what the Word says and the implications that are in here I need to preach. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not trying to motivate anybody. I'm not going to have a sign-up sheet after service. 
So I'm just preaching what's here. But we have to understand that there's no serving class and consumer class. Everybody has a job to do. That's why it's the body of Christ, amen. And so we enjoy all the benefits, but we also have to share the work and do our part. Now, these verses here, uh, 42 through 51, they compare and contrast the faithful servant with the wicked, unfaithful servant. That's what you're going to see. We're going to see the parameters and the instructions to the faithful servant and the hope of the faithful servant because there's eternal rewards attached to everything we do for the kingdom of God. And then we're going to see the warnings and the, 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 the marks of the wicked servant. How many understand in every organization, in every country, in every nation, in every church, you got people doing the right thing and you got people doing their own thing? Come on, think about work. How, how many people at work just floating around, collecting a paycheck, not pulling their weight at all? Come on, Come on preach back to me a little bit if I'm telling the truth. Yeah. No, Pastor, everybody pulls their weight where I work. We, there's a water cooler. Nobody stands by and gossips. Nobody does that. It's the same in the world. It's the same in the church. There are those who do what they're supposed to. In the text here, we're going to see that those are considered by God to be faithful servants. And there are those that don't do what they're supposed to. And God calls them wicked, unfaithful servants. And he spells out the eternal outcome of each group. As we break down these verses, I pray that the Holy Spirit will show each of us our place of faithful service in the body of Christ. Now, you're here tonight on Wednesday night. You're doing good. So you're in the house of God. You're sitting under the anointing. You're worshiping. You're drinking in the word. Uh, you're on the right track. But God needs to make clear to us what our part is. Someone say amen. amen. How many do better when you know what's expected of you? Come on, any, any married people that your spouse wants you to do something, but you have no idea what it is. And the crystal ball is broken, and they won't tell you. Right? communicate. God communicates to us. God makes clear to us if we incline our ear to hear. So verse 45 begins by asking a question. Who is a faithful and wise servant? And the question reveals two characteristics, two necessities of those who are called to serve as ministers or servants in the church or in the body of Christ. The two characteristics are obviously faithfulness and wisdom. Say faithfulness. Say it like you mean it, faithfulness. faithfulness. That's a little better. You know what? God requires faithfulness from his people. And sometimes, you know, we sign up for this Christian thing and we get saved because we don't like hot places and we don't want to go anywhere where God's not. But then we don't realize what's required of us. And to be faithful ministers in the body of Christ, to be faithful Christians in our community, in our nation, we have to be faithful. The first requirement is faithfulness and we can't get away from it. What makes a servant minister faithful in God's sight? Well, number one, they're continually engaged, they're productive, and they're motivated for the kingdom of God. Engaged, productive, and motivated. So we can't just live our lives and do our own thing and accomplish our own agenda and mix a little Jesus in on Wednesday and a little Jesus in on Sunday. Amen? Now, I know this isn't popular preaching, and I know it doesn't fill seats, but the thing is, is you know, the, the church is not, you know, just a social club. It, it's the army of God. It's the body of Christ. We've got a job to do, amen? 
And if you were on a battleship and it was under attack and you decided, well, I'm not going to man my station. I'm just going to stay in the rack and sleep. You know, that ship would sink and you'd go down with it. And that's what we need to think about in the body of Christ. Many times the, the body's under attack. The church is under attack. The, the people all around us are going down in flames and we're not manning our station. Just remember, if the ship goes down, we go down with it because we're a body, because we're joined together. So faithfulness, we're servant ministers, we're engaged, we're uh, productive in kingdom things, we're motivated, we're in line with the flow of the Holy Spirit. This is so important. It's not just looking busy, it's not just doing stuff, it's not just being spiritual, it's doing what's in line with the flow of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is reaching out to save people through evangelism and we're in the church praying in the back room, we're missing it. If the Holy Spirit wants to move in the congregation and, and have a, uh, something going on at the altar, but we're out at the lake fishing because it was a nice Sunday, we're missing it. We've got to be in flow with the Holy Spirit. Look, you know, it's, it's not time in the timetable of humanity and the timetable of where we're headed in the last days here for us to be idle but we got to be faithful and so to be faithful we need to be tapped into the flow of the holy spirit and there's a lot of people in the church doing the bare minimum being faithful is not doing the bare minimum. Look, I, I've been in ministry for a long time. It's coming up on 30 years of full-time ministry. Th there's a lot of people that I've seen in the ministry that do the bare minimum. It's so quiet now. What did you expect on Wednesday night? So the bare minimum, you know, many times in my life I've thought, you know, man, I'm, I'm not reaping what, what I want. I'm not receiving what I want. I'm not, I'm not in abundance. And, you know, there's times where God was like, well, up your game. Do more for me. Stop doing the bare minimum. Stop phoning it in. Oh, this ain't going to work tonight. You already shrunk up on me. I didn't even get to the good stuff yet. So it's living, you know, this life of being involved in kingdom things. It's being faithful to the things of the kingdom. Look, we have to delight ourselves in the Lord, and then he'll give us the desires of our heart. Now, let me unpack that for you a little bit, because many times a carnal person would look at that. Well, if I do God's stuff, then I can have all the stuff that I want. Listen, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, the desire of our heart is him. And what he gives us is himself. Amen. And then all those other things that we think we wanted that that never satisfy us. We don't even think about those things anymore. So it's, it's doing more than the minimum. It's, it's more than living a life of pleasure, comfort, ease, and excess. You know, taking unapproved breaks and unapproved tangents. All those breaks, all those tangents, all those spiritual vacations cost us something. When we stop reading the word, when we stop praying, when we stop being serious about God, when we stop attending church regularly. Oh, Jesus, there's going to be nobody here next Wednesday. So it's faithfulness, and sometimes when the Lord challenges us to be faithful, and we look, man, Lord, I thought I was doing good. You know, I thought I was, you know, I was, I was doing enough to squeak by. Yeah, you can pass with a 65, but is that the way you want to serve Jesus? And then if he gives you a 65% blessing, don't complain. So faithful people fulfill their God-given assignments, they do their spiritual duty with the right heart. They don't pawn it off on others. 
Well, somebody else will pick up the slack. I'm not going to serve here. Someone else will be on the worship team. Someone else will serve the children. Someone else will, you know, go to the prayer meeting. Someone else will go to the men's meeting. Someone else will go to the women's Bible study. I I don't have time. I'm going to do my thing. Well, at the end of it all, God's going to judge whether we were faithful or not. Number two, the second characteristic we need to be considered a, a faithful servant is that, what, we're faithful and then we're wise. Say wise. Amen. Wisdom. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. You've heard me say that over and over again. It's the most simplistic definition of wisdom. Wisdom is not book smarts and lists and facts that we can store in our hair-covered computer here and regurgitate at the right time. Most of what happens in our schools and in our universities is just regurgitating facts. There's no thinking, there's no consideration, there's no wisdom. Why? Because wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. It's just not spitting out the the facts. And it's gotten so bad that now there's an approved list of facts that don't even have to be true, but you better say what's been told, otherwise, you know, you're out of line and you're out of luck. So we need wisdom in the church. Wisdom, when we have the knowledge of God that comes from the word of God and our head and our heart are filled with it, and then the Holy Spirit can show us how to apply those biblical facts in a way that constitutes wisdom. It's doing, wisdom is so necessary for doing the work of the ministry efficiently and effectively. That takes wisdom. Where there is no wisdom... And I'm talking about in the kingdom of God right now. Where there is no wisdom in the implementation of the gospel, the work of the kingdom will suffer and produce very little good fruit. Have you ever seen people that were busy but didn't accomplish much? Have you ever heard people that talked a lot but didn't say anything? Come on, Wednesday night. Amen. Maybe my coffee's kicking in, but you need a cup too right now, so... And, and, you know, you see people and they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're moving and they're doing things and they're kicking up dust, but really nothing's, nothing's getting done. Why is that? Because, you know, it's zeal without knowledge. It's, it's, it's movement without wisdom and it produces very little good fruit. We need wisdom in the body of Christ to worship correctly, to get the word in us correctly, to push away all the heresies and all the, the, the false gospels and the false teaching. We need wisdom in the body of Christ to reach the generation, amen. We need wisdom in the body of Christ to raise up our youth here so that they know the Lord, so that the next generation can take the baton and run with it, amen. We need wisdom for all of that. So we're to be faithful, but we're also to be wise. Now, wisdom in the kingdom of God is not worldly wisdom. I want you to hear that. Because what's happened in the last few decades a lot of times in the body is that we have used worldly wisdom to try and grow the kingdom. I wish somebody would burp or say something. You know, what's the latest business model? What's the whimsical trends of culture? What's the worldly wisdom? You know, I remember when I was young and in this area, people will say, you know, well, well," and this is crazy, but it would be like, well, what should our dress code be in the church? And uh, somebody's there going like, well, what does IBM wear? Like, we're going to follow the business world. Well, they wear suit and ties, so we're going to wear suit and ties. Then, you know, the corporate world went business casual, and then the church went business casual. Pastor Mike, we're following the trends of the world. Now, I'm not putting a tie on anytime soon. But what I'm saying is we've got to follow the winds of the spirit, not the whims of the world. 
We need the wisdom of God. So faithfulness and wisdom, it seems like we've barely survived that tonight, but we're going to go deeper. (laughs) The truth is pastoral servant leaders and servant leaders in the body of Christ are called by God to use both of these qualities in conjunction, growing in them, working them, learning to flow in them so that we can be faithful ministers of the kingdom of God. So you and I should be praying that God would make us faithful. You and I should be praying that God would give us wisdom. The Bible says to ask for wisdom and God will give it liberally, amen? The body of Christ has no, you know, we have no excuse for being foolish or dumb or not understanding the times or not knowing what the mind of the spirit is. But yet there are multitudes of churches and, you know, organizations out there just going in circles, doing their own thing, not producing much fruit. We need to pray for the body of Christ. A leader, listen to this, a leader can be consistent and ever present, a good worker, a laborer in the kingdom. But if they don't have wisdom, they'll only succeed at making a disastrous, unproductive mess of the ministry. Wow. You say, where'd you get that from? I've watched it happen over the years. I've seen it happen. And I, uh, I've learned that, you know, we don't make decisions by the whims of the world or by the culture of the world or by the business uh, model of the world or whatever paradigm the world is. But we've got to tap into what God is doing, what God is saying. We've got to do God's work, God's way, and it will produce fruit. Amen. So where there is no wisdom, we need to pray for it because ministry will be unproductive, it'll be unfruitful, it'll, it'll seem spiritual, but it won't produce anything eternal. Notice that the servant leaders in the body of Christ are appointed by the master. This is important. Who is a faithful and wise servant who the master made ruler? Did you hear that? Who the master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Now, that's an interesting implication there. Why? Because we have to be very careful about those who are self-appointed and self-anointed. You, you, don't, you don't get ministry. You don't get offices in the church. You don't get five-fold ministry gifts uh, through inheritance. You don't get put there out of a popularity contest or a board vote or, you know, because you you have the the biggest wallet in the church. There again, I've been around the block a lot and I've seen stuff, so I'm just giving you wisdom here tonight. God's servant leaders have to be called by God. They have to be anointed by God. They have to be appointed by God. Look what it says, that they are appointed by the master. Who's the master? That's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus has a call on each of our lives. And it's not just to work a job or pick a career, or do something we love and be successful and fill our pockets and, you know, get a house with a picket fence and 2.5 kids and a dog and retire and die. It's bigger than that, Tom. We're called for greater purposes than that. And if that's the only vision you have of what, you know, your life is, I pray God would open the eyes of the understanding so you would see the vision he has for you, and it's greater than just that American dream thing. Now, if you hear what I'm saying and make adjustments, uh, this will bless your life. But if we keep forging full steam ahead, ignoring the wisdom of God and not being faithful to the call of God, there's going to be sadness and repercussions at the end of our lives. 
I've never heard of anyone laying on their deathbed lamenting that they didn't work more hours, that they didn't save more money, that they didn't pay off their mortgage quicker. It's things like I didn't serve the purpose of God. I didn't spend time with my wife, my husband. I didn't, I didn't invest in my children. So servant leaders are God-appointed, appointed by the master, by Jesus. They don't get appointed by boards or committees or denominations or popularity contests or opinion polls. They've got to be God-ordained. Look, the servant leader is in charge or rules over what? The household. What's the household? It's obviously the church. So Jesus appoints leadership and gives out gifts. Why? Because we're all part of the kingdom of God. We're all part of the body of Christ. And then he appoints them. Uh, in his household, and that's the church. I preached on Sunday about using our gifts in the kingdom. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Some of us, you know, all of us have gifts. Some of us have gifts that you can, you can do a lot with in the world. You can make yourself money. You could build yourself a fortune. You could get notoriety. But those, those gifts are dangerous sometimes. You know, I think about being a musician and our musicians up here. All, all of them are skilled and talented enough to take their gifts into the world and get all kinds of accolades and, you know, do, do things to just puff themselves up with it. But they're here and they serve God in the ministry. We should appreciate that. So the household is the church. Jesus is the master. He appoints us. He places us. He calls us. All of this has to be God-ordained to be faithful, to be a, a faithful and wise servant. Um, you know, I love the implications here. It continues here in verse 45. Master made ruler over his household. And listen, to give them food. Say food. food. Say food like you're hungry. Food. Yeah, food. To give them food in due season. So catch that there. So uh, we're gifted. We're called. God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to have wisdom. He puts us in positions in the body of Christ where we can serve him. And then he, he gives us a job to do. And so uh, right here, the primary responsibility of leadership in the local church is to provide those who are in the church with food in due season. What I'm doing tonight is I'm feeding you. And really, I, you know, well, you say, you know, I, I didn't pick the menu. I'm really not the chef. I'm just a server. And so my job, the job of ministers, is to basically be a spiritual chef, to serve up healthy, nutritious, spiritual meals for the body on a consistent basis. From where I'm looking, you all look fat and happy out there. Because you get good preaching here. And everyone who stands behind this pulpit feeds us well. I like when it's not my turn to preach, so I get to eat too. Amen? Because God is faithful, you know, and over the years, I've been here since I'm 14 years old. Let me say that again slow for the hearing impaired. I've been here since I'm 14 years old, and we have always been fed well at Full Gospel Center. God has been faithful to us, amen? 
Now we should pray that every church serves up good, nutritious, healthy, spiritual food. Why? Because it's not just, oh God, bless full gospel center, aren't we so blessed? No, the body of Christ, every part, every parcel, every local church, every shepherd, every fold needs to eat well so that we are spiritually strong and we have the strength to do the work of the ministry because like it or not, we need each other. And so there's a big difference in the quality of food that can be served. Can, we, can I get an amen to that? Amen. You know, uh, and we need to think about that. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes spiritually we can eat a, a steady diet of junk food. And that's not good. Little, little blurbs and little devotionals and little clips on the radio. You know, I love the radio. There's some really good preachers on the bridge and stuff, and I, I like some of that. You know what? But you got to be careful of what, what you eat when other people are just serving up like sound bites. I've heard a lot of half-cocked, half-cooked, uncooked, raw chicken meals <laughs> that'll give you spiritual salmonella. A lot of Christian books out there. You got to be careful what you read. Always look at the author. Always look at the fruit. Always look if they're tied to a local church when you're reading a book. If you if you hear me tonight, I'll save you some trouble because you can eat some spiritual junk food that will twist your thought process, twist your theology, get you to chase your tail, chase the wind, and waste time that we don't have. So there's a, there's a real degree of difference in the quality of food, you know, and you can eat junk food, you can eat cafeteria food, you can have a gourmet cooked meal, you can have really healthy food, or you can have prison food. So be careful what you choose to eat. And make sure you're in a place where you're getting fed good spiritual food. Food in due season. See, it's more than just preaching, you know, you know, there's these churches that they, oh, we preach through the Bible, you know, from Genesis to, to Revelation right through, and we don't skip. And, and you know, the Catholics, they got the missile, and everybody's doing it. Listen, you got to have your food in due season. I don't do that. I don't get locked into a thing and go through this like legalistically and systematically. I preach what the Holy Spirit tells me to preach. Amen. And why? Because we don't just need spiritual food. We need food in due season. If, you, if your congregation needs to hear what's going on in the book of Acts because God's getting ready to use them for evangelism and you're stuck in Deuteronomy because you're following your little system there, you're not going to feed people Food in due season. Well, I like the predictability. I like to know. I like that we're all on the same page. I like I can go anywhere and hear the same thing. Still, it's a hurdle to get food that's in due season. I never want to be stuck someplace. I never want to be, you know, legalistic to the point where I, I can't preach what he's telling me to preach because I'm here and I got to go to here. And that's it. You, you know, I never want to do that. We should be careful about that. Now, I will say, I really like the fact that those churches that preach through Scripture and hit every book don't just skip entire portions of the Bible. You can sit in some churches and never get any Old Testament. You can sit in some churches and never get any of the poetic books, the prophetic books, never get any eschatology. Because people just hop and bop and poke around and preach what's easy and preach what's, you know, uh, you know people like to hear. I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of times I have to say things that aren't easy to swallow. They're not easy to hear, and they're not easy for me to preach. 
but we've got to get the full counsel of God's word. So it's food in due season. This means the skillful preaching and teaching of the entire counsel of God's word delivered in such a way that it produces mature disciples. Yes, I'm your spiritual chef, but I'm not here to, you know, to just tickle your fancy and, and, and titillate your palate. I'm here to give you spiritual food that will produce maturity in all of us. That's the point of the drill here. Oh, we just come to church, we sing some songs, we get some goosebumps, we hear a message, it has a couple jokes in it and a punchline here. and Nobody's challenged, nobody's changed, nobody's convicted, nobody's crying at the altar. Oh, boy. So, food in due season, and I'm thankful here for the way we receive the food and the way we respond to the Holy Spirit and the way we do accept the conviction and cry at the altar and we see people saved and thank God for that. I pray we see more and more of it and that we would see just a move of the Holy Spirit like we've never seen before. Amen. I'm just gonna close this message down with the ingredients of healthy spiritual food. And I'm going to touch three of them tonight. The ingredients of healthy spiritual food are these. Number one, sound theology. Amen. Preaching can't just be entertainment. It can't be just worldly wisdom. It can't be just, you know, anecdotes. Preaching has to be rooted and grounded in sound theology. What's preached to the people of God must be solidly rooted in the word of God. Amen? Amen. Not opinion, not conjecture, not worldly wisdom. If you've ever sat under a ministry or listened to uh, church denominations that preach a cultural agenda, you know, you got people sitting behind the pulpit preaching about cultural issues, and, you know, they call them woke churches now. And they're not woke, they're asleep, they're in a slumber, and they're not, they're not producing godly fruit. But they're tickling ears and they're filling seats. Now, I'm not one of these people that say, well, if you have a big church, you're obviously compromising the gospel. I can't stand that. Some of the big churches got great theology and they're powerful ministries. And you see these other people with four people in their church and nobody wants to go to it and they got to lash out at everybody else. Can't stand it. If the fruit is good, if the, if the theology is solid, if the, if the ministry is solid, don't criticize it because it's big. So, sound theology is very important. What we say can't be opinion-based. Now, there are times where ministers and Christians are going to have to share opinions because there's different ways to uh, apply things and there's different ways to interpret things. But even when the Apostle Paul shared an opinion on a subject, he made sure to clarify that it was his opinion and not God. Let me show you one instance of this. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 12. If you're taking notes, write that down. You can go spend some time in it and examine it and get the heart of Paul here. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 12. But to the married, he's given instruction on marriage. To the married, I give instruction, not I, but the Lord, that the wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. So Paul's saying, I'm giving instruction here and it's not my opinion, it's God. 
God. Look what he says. I give instruction, not I, but the Lord. So he gives that there. And then in verse 12, he says, but to the rest I say, I say, not the Lord. So he's saying, this is, this is my opinion here. Are you catching this? That if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. So Paul, you know, in that little uh, section of scripture, he shows where this is my opinion on the application, but this is where the, this is where the Lord is speaking and this is the word of God. Right. When people who are ministers preach their opinion as if it was the word, you get a lot of problems in application. And I see a lot of that in the body of Christ now. So... Uh, understand that sound theology is very important. We've had 2,000 plus years of solid church teaching. We've had a lot of heresies dis- debunked. We've had a lot of wildfire put out, but you and I should be able to grab hold of sound theology at this point. And listen, I don't care who preaches it. I don't care how famous they are. I don't care how big their church is. If it doesn't line up with this, then it's not, we don't have to, you, thanks for your opinion, but if it doesn't line up with this, we don't have to live it or apply it or teach it to others. Amen. I've heard a lot of opinions from some big ministries, opinions on same-sex marriage, opinions on homosexuality, opinions on drug use. Opinion. And it's like these, these preachers give people license to do things. Wow. We're going to see as we continue this study here that, you know what, as servant leaders, as those of us who preach and teach in the body of Christ, we're going to be held accountable for what we do. So the second thing besides sound theology is wise application. Remember, we said wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. So when we preach the word and we uh, make the sound theological interpretation of the word, then we have to give uh, the people a way to apply it to their daily lives. Preaching and teaching God's word should be done to make it easy for the saints to apply the word to their lives. We don't need, you know, uh, these crazy complicated, over-intellectual, you know, uh, preaching styles that just, you know, it seems like it's, it's just with big words and hard to understand and you can't, have you ever just listened to somebody talk and you're like, what? You know, I've actually brought friends to church in other places before I got here when I lived in upstate New York and the, the guy was like, after the message, he's like, What? We shouldn't, we shouldn't preach in such a way. We shouldn't share the gospel in such a way that we confuse people. We need to break it down so it's understandable. Oh, it looks at your face, yeah, yeah. You know, I've, we, we just got to, you know, God didn't make it complicated. I said, God didn't make it complicated. Man made it complicated. God gave the Jews, tw- you know, 10 commandments, and they wrote volumes of books rabbinical teachings on how to apply the commandments and understand the commandments and the implications of the commandments. Volumes of books for Ten Commandments. Man has a way of making things more complicated, and it's not, you know, magnifying it and making it more spiritual. It's just muddying it up so people can't understand it. So the wise application is for us to preach and teach the sound theology of the gospel and of the word of God in a way that people can understand it. Jesus taught parables, simplistic teachings, common teachings so that people can understand. So I I see trends in the world now that, you know, uh, 
those who want to make the word lofty or make it obscure to the point where the people, the laity, uh, don't understand it, well, that's a real disservice to the body of Christ. Right now, there's a trend in the, in the Catholic Church that they want to go back to preaching the Mass in Latin. No, they're going to preach it in Latin. They're not preaching it in Latin now. They're, they want to preach the Mass in Latin, and there's a lot of people excited about it. And, and they're like, I'm like, you, you don't understand what they're saying in English, and now you want it in a language? I remember when my grandparents were little, they had the Mass in Latin. I said, Poppy, did you understand it? No, I didn't understand it. Why would you want it? Did you listen to it? You too, yeah. And they taught Latin. Why would we go backwards? Why would we make it more confusing? Next week, I'm going to preach in Portuguese. And then next week, Pastor Mike's going to preach in Mandarin Chinese. Too much Greek, too much Hebrew, too much scholarship, too much philosophy, too much opinion. We just need the simplicity. I wish churches would make it simple so that people could understand it. And we see that some of those systems don't want the people to understand it. So the last thing that we're going to talk about with healthy food is, you, you know, we got this wise application, we got sound theology, but the last thing we need is proper seasoning. How many like their food seasoned? Amen. Amen. How many people walk around with a bottle of hot sauce in their back pocket? You know, the, the word has to be seasoned. It, it should, uh, if you've ever heard someone take the good news and make it so bland and boring, you, 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 they had to take your shoelaces away so you would make it through the message. And some of you won't smile for anything. I'm going to take a drink. So it needs to be properly seasoned. Listen to Colossians 4, 5 through 7. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Listen, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So it's talking about our speech, and when we speak the word of God, when we speak the gospel, when we share spiritual things, our words should be with grace and seasoned with salt. Why? So that you may know what you ought to answer each one. So as Christians, we, we, we got to stop taking the good news and making it the bad news or making it the boring news or the bland news or the theologically overcomplicated intellectual news. It's the good news. Spice it up. Use illustrations. Use humor. Use current events. Use all of those literary devices, but never, ever compromise the word. Amen? So, you know what? If we are communicating in the gospel in a way that the generation is not getting it, we need to figure out by the Holy Spirit how to give it to them in a way that they get it, but we never compromise it, amen? The, the church has done this. They've compromised the word. They've sugarcoated it, or they'll leave the parts out that are offensive. We got to, with grace, figure out how to deliver. Sometimes we need to be offended. Sometimes we need to be challenged. Sometimes we need to be told that we're wrong. That's the problem with the generation in our culture. It's never heard no. It's never, it's never been disciplined. It's never accepted correction. It doesn't receive correction from anyone, from parents, from government, from police, nothing. Everybody's, you know, autonomous, can do whatever they want. 
And then God's word says we have to do X, Y, and Z, and there's no plan B. And the people are like, I'm not doing that. No one's telling me what to do. So spice it up. Use illustrations. Use humor. Use current events. Share your life story. Preach your own parables. You know, our testimonies are the most powerful thing. Share your testimony. You know, some of you I've known for a long time. I don't know how you got saved. I, I'd like to hear your testimony. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a testimony night soon. And uh, our testimonies are powerful. Share that. You know, people can argue theology with you. They can argue, uh, you know, scripture verses with you. They can argue application with you. You know, if a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, you can argue with them over scripture for, until Jesus comes back. And their eyes are blinded and not going to see it. But I guarantee you this, share your testimony with them and their mouths will drop open. They'll pack up their stuff and they'll go away. Because your testimony is so powerful, the enemy just can't have them sitting there listening to it. And so, so they, they, they couldn't get up my driveway. They had to bring a special team uh, with an SUV. But when they got up there after about 30 minutes with me, I've never seen them again. <laughs> we, we need to pray for people who are deceived in those systems. And verse... 46 through 47 lists the hope and the reward of those who serve God faithfully. Blessed is the servant whose master, when he comes, will find him doing so. So all of these things, being faithful, being wise, being productive, uh, preaching the, the true gospel, not watering it down, not softening it up, not sugarcoating. When Jesus comes back and he finds us as servant ministers, as, as members of the body of Christ charged with bringing the gospel to the world, he finds us doing what we're supposed to do. There's blessing attached to that. When I was young, there used to be uh, bumper stickers. Do people still use bumper stickers or no? They just, they don't look at bumpers. They're looking at their phone. They want to see a meme. But there used to be bumper stickers. And I remember I saw one. It says, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. I thought that was funny, right? But isn't that kind of the point of the drill? What, what do you want to be found doing when Jesus comes back? It's a serious thought, amen? Do we want to be found faithful busy with the things of the kingdom or doing our own thing, building our own empire? Do we want to be found? You know, it would be great if he came back in the middle of service while we were worshiping God and worshiping and all of a sudden, boom, we're in the throne room. Woo, amen. That'd be good. But, you know, there are certain situations where we can find ourselves doing, you know, unbiblical things and even sinful things that would a horrific thought to think that the Lord would come back at that moment. That's why we got to live right and live tight and be looking for his coming, man, and push all compromise and excess and foolishness and sinfulness out. It's part of that readiness that he wants us to have. Jesus is coming back. Look busy. According to James 3, uh, 1 through 2, those called to be shepherds to preach and teach God's word to the flock will face a more stringent judgment than those who are not. Now this, for, for people who stand behind pulpits, teachers, uh, you know, all of us, when we share the gospel too, we uh, who preach and teach the word as fivefold ministry gift people, you know, we are going to be judged more strict. Isn't that an exciting thought, Pastor Mike? We get all the joys of ministry and then stricter judgment. 
yeah, listen to James 3, 1 through 2. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we stumble in many things. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he is mature, perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. So, you know, we as preachers and teachers are going to have a stricter judgment. So it says here, you know, let not many of you become teachers. So it's kind of a warning here that James has given. And, you know, we've all seen the, the cultural phenomenal in the Western church where you have these small churches where everybody's a minister there. Anybody come from church systems like that? Everybody's a minister. You're so-and-so, prophet so-and-so, missionary so-and-so, pastor so-and-so, assistant pastor so-and-so. There's 27 people in the church. There's 25 ministers. <laughs> That's not smart. No. Because I guarantee you God didn't call 25 out of 27 to full-time ministry in a little place like that. But it's ego and it's culture and it's pride that everybody needs a title. Oh, I'm stepping on everybody's toes tonight. Just so you know, it makes me happy. But, you know, well, why don't we have more of this? And why don't we have that? And why doesn't everybody have a title? And why don't we do this? And why don't we do that? Because we do what God tells us to do. And we shouldn't desire an office or desire a title. You know, and if you do, you need to check your pride and you need to check your ego. Because let me tell you something, I know pastors and I know ministers, and the, mo the majority of us that are in ministry did not want the job. Right. In fact, when I was in Bible school, Pastor Mike was in Bible school, one of our professors, Barry Kowalik, told us, if there is anything you can do besides ministry, do it. Yeah. And if, there, if you can't, you're called. Yeah. And if you're called, you can't escape it. But if you're not called, don't you dare touch it because there's a stricter judgment. How much more of a stricter judgment for the person who steps in the office of minister who wasn't called by God, who wasn't appointed by Jesus over the household? <sighs> a lot of trouble. Now, I know you don't like to think about this stuff, but this is what, you know, this is what I think about all day, so welcome to my world. <laughs> if you're called, you won't be able to escape. If you're not called, don't dare assume the office. There's too much at stake. Listen, God's put gifts in all of us. All of us are called to serve, but there's a certain office, offices in the church where there will be a stricter judgment and just we've got to make sure that we are functioning according to the calling of the Holy Spirit. So uh, let's continue here. On the other side of the proverbial coin, verse 47, it lists the eternal wards of those who become faithful ministers. So you can't appoint yourself and you can't choose it like a career, but if you're called and you're faithful, there's a reward attached to it. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. Oh, I did a good job and I got more work to do. <laughs> See, that's the way we think in the world. Oh, you know, I worked hard. I did the work of three people. They promoted me. Now I got more stress, more this, more that. You know, and, and you know, many times people just want to do less and make more. Come on, I'm telling the truth in church. But in the kingdom, when we do well and we're faithful, we're given more. And it's always a blessing. And so there's eternal rewards listed for, you know, those who are faithful. Listen, it's not just for pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists. It's for everyone in the body of Christ that does the will of God for their lives. 
If God's called you to, to be a doorkeeper in the house of God, if God's called you to clean up the church, if whatever God's called you to do, if you do that faithfully with wisdom, with a right heart, there is a reward attached for it. There's going to be people in heaven who are blessed and rewarded and highly favored and, and have no, and, and you're going to say, well, we, we never even knew you were in the church. And then there's going to be pastors mowing grass on somebody's mansion lawn. So we've got to be faithful, whatever he calls us to do. I'll make him ruler over all his good. So there's a blessing. There's a reward attached to faithfulness to those who serve with the right heart, with wisdom. Those who prove themselves to be faithful in the little things can be entrusted with greater things. That's the way it works in the world and in the kingdom of God. You know, you don't graduate school and become the CEO and get the corner office in the big No, you got to work your way up into it. Right. You got to serve your way up into it and even more in the ministry, amen? But if we're faithful with the little things, this is going to help somebody tonight if you grab this because you're not where you want to be. You're not being used how you want it to be. Maybe your giftings are big, but you're not finding an outlet for them. Be faithful in the little things that are in your hands right now. Do them with all your might as unto the Lord, amen. Do them with a right heart. Don't be cocky. Don't be proud. Don't have an attitude. Promotion comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from the Lord. I'm done preaching to you guys tonight. So bow your heads. I don't want to look at you no more. Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. And Father, it is challenging, but Lord, I thank you for the Wednesday night mediators club that can eat the meat of the word. Father, I pray that the meat would nourish us. That, Father, we weren't looking for milk tonight, but th this is a challenge to us, Lord. For each of us, we are called. For each of us, we have gifts. For each of us, we have a place in the body of Christ. Father, I pray that each of us would be faithful and that we would have wisdom to consider the times, consider the days, consider the cost, and to serve you faithfully so that at the end there is a reward for us there are crowns for us that we can cast at your feet and give you the glory that's due your name father we don't serve for ourselves we serve for the king of kings who laid his life down for us and gave us amazing grace who saved our souls from sin and destruction and eternal damnation and gave us the free gift of eternal life thank you jesus Teach us to be servant leaders in every way, I pray, amen.